Hello, in this episode of the Final Third Podcast, Jack and I talk about all the crazy things happening in the soccer world, how the invasion of Ukraine plays into the soccer world and how the soccer world has responded. We also talk about the EFL Cup final, the fact that Liverpool won, and Jack's very sad about that. We also talk about Bielsa being ousted from Leeds United and a certain American, Jesse Marsh, coming in and whether... Whether that's a good move or not, stick around for this great, great episode. We got a ton more coming in the next couple of months. So stick around, leave a review if you like it, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Final Third Podcast. It is Monday. It is our news and predictions episode. My name is Aegis Wira. I'm a fan of Minnesota United that just kicked off their season just this past weekend. West Ham United, which took the W against Wolves this week, and the U.S. national teams, which also took the dub in the She Believes Cup, U.S. women's national team. So pretty happy with uh, all three results altogether. And I'm joined, uh, as always, with my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you doing? That feels like a bit of a slap in the face. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't have as good of results uh, today. I'm a fan of Minnesota United, of course, which was pretty good. <laughs> I'm a fan of Chelsea, which we will talk about, much to my disappointment, uh, and Atalanta, who we'll also talk about in a much better light for this week, and then, of course, the U.S. and French national teams. Yeah. Although I am wearing a Slovakia jersey right now, so yeah, I don't know. And, and my water bottle has a, a Minneapolis City sticker on it right now, so I guess I gotta throw them in as yeah. well, so yeah, Uh yeah, and Jack, we are in person. I completely forgot uh, what we were going to say, but we are in person now. Yes, we are. Yes. No clap syncs, no Zoom lag, uh, because both of our internet connections are bad. Yes. So Such yeah. is college life, I yes, suppose. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if, luckily, I mean, we're still pretty busy, but at least for me personally, there's been like just a, a tiny window of not so busy before it gets very busy again <laughs> later this week. Yep, so, yep, exactly. Uh, we took the opportunity to, uh, you know, see each other in person, record in person like we like we used to. So I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, it is our news and predictions episode. So we will be talking not just about how busy we are in school, <laughs> but also <laughs> talk about all the big news on and off the field in the soccer world. And uh, newsflash, there's a lot. There's a yeah, lot, of, uh, lot of news. That might be a bit of an understatement. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, but we're glad to be here, as always. Twitter, Instagram, at Final Third Show. Links will be down below. Uh, as well as, you know, the classic, classic website we have, FinalThirdShow.com, if you want a one-stop shop for everything. But, Jack, it's official. We are now both 21. Yes. We can go to any soccer pub we want now. Yeah, exactly. Of, of course, I just turned uh, 21 uh, yesterday, at the time of recording on the 26th, Saturday, really happy about that. The fact that my 21st birthday fell on a Saturday, yep. so I didn't have to uh, sl sleep off a, a fun night and <laughs> uh, have a test the next day or something. Yeah. So, uh, good timing there. Yeah. Well, speaking of, actually, part of the reason why I asked you to come record in person is I actually have a gift for you oh, as well. A live gift yeah, right now? Yeah, a live gift reaction no way. opening. So... Oh, I people, got this ordered for you. People can hear the rustling in the yep, background. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to explain this to visual people. Uh, not visual people. I'm trying to explain this visually to our audio listeners, which is everybody. So I'm going to open this box as haphazardly as possible. I hope it's not a fragile thing. It is not fragile. All right, good. 
Alright. I'm still opening it. <laughs> My girlfriend actually got me... I mentioned the Minneapolis City sticker. She got me a, a scarf and a jersey from them. Uh, Riverside. And as I'm opening this now... Oh, is this... Is this what I think it is, Jack? It is what you think it is. Is this a, a, a mystery scarf from... This is a mystery scarf from Away Days. One of, one of my favorite companies. I get their mystery jerseys. I know you're more of a scarf person. Yes, so I am. I got you a scarf, a mystery one. And, and you don't know what this is. No, I don't. I haven't opened it. I All right. Well, Jack, I think you might be a little jealous, but I'm also very happy to get this because it is none other than an AS Monaco no scarf. No way. Yeah. Oh, let's. And uh, from the from the order notes uh, from Martin, a happy birthday note for me. So he hopes I enjoy the mystery scarf. And Martin, of course, you're listening. I do like it. Jack, thank you very much. Let's I, see the scarf. Let's see it. Yeah. Well, there's even more plastic. <laughs> oh, I have there's to more open plastic. Now. Yeah, but I will open it. I'm pretty excited. Like, I, I, I was very happy when Monaco won Liga way back when. 16, 17? Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I was one of my favorite seasons. And look at that. Ooh. Unique forever. Oh, it's nice. a good, that's a good uh, a birthday message right that's there. That's a nice Unique one forever. Right there. I love it. I love it. There you go. Yeah, this is going right next to my girlfriend's Minneapolis City scarf that she got me. Jack, again, thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad uh, you are my podcast co-host. That is a great gift, and I'm really ha glad I have it. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy it. I'll put it up with my scarf collection. There we go. Yeah, uh, I think I like it more than uh, my PSG scarf, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I have a PSG scarf mostly because it was on sale for $3 one day. Yeah. I was just like, eh, I'll get it. I wish I didn't have it, but... No, nah, it's okay. I got my PSG scarf when I visited Paris, and I think I am much more much more happy that I have this Monaco yeah, scarf. Yeah, Monaco's more ethical than, uh, yeah. than PSG, maybe. Sure. Maybe not the actual city, but I'm sure <laughs> yeah. the, the team. <laughs> the team. The team. <laughs> the team. All right. Well, with that, uh, thank you for everyone that has wished me a happy birthday on Twitter as well. Really appreciate that. Uh, but let's get into some very important soccer news, starting with... Uh, <laughs> uh, stark contrast. Yeah, stark contrast from the happiness that's going to be uh, the last story. And, of course, the stories after this uh, is our first story, which is a little something called Ukraine. I don't know if you've heard what's going on, if you've been living under a rock, but... A lot of crazy things have happened, understatement of the year, in a relation to the Russo-Ukrainian war that has been waging on since 2014. Yep. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go into the geopolitics of Eastern Europe too much, but uh, Russia, who in the USSR days did in, uh, was part of the USSR with Ukraine. Yep, so Ukraine was part of the USSR. Mm -hmm. They split from them in 1991 in a referendum. Yes. And... Uh, They've kind of been uh, not not well, adver adversaries. We'll just say yeah, adversaries, adversaries for a while. And in 2014, Russia annexed part of Ukraine in the Crimean Peninsula. And for the past year or so, they've been building up military presence around the border. And on Thursday, February 24th, they invaded on a supposed peacekeeping mission in the Donbass region. Not, not very peaceful. Yeah, not peaceful at all. Uh, but uh, they they invaded the Donbass region after declaring them as independent states. But I could go literally on for probably an hour about the geopolitics, so I won't do that. Yeah. Because this is a soccer podcast. Yeah, this is a soccer and what podcast. Ma and what we're going to talk about is how has the sport world responded to, you, to yeah. this? And is it enough or... Yeah, I guess that's yeah. that's really the main question. Just how has this 
crazy, crazy event. Literally the most hostile act of war in Europe since World War II, bar pretty much nothing. How is the soccer world responding to this? And the most direct, I guess, consequence of this is the fact that because Ukraine declared martial law, the Ukrainian league has been suspended for what I think will be the entirety of the season, unless some magical, uh, peaceful referendum gets passed in the next couple of days, which I, I know they're they're uh, going to be meeting along the Belarusian-Ukrainian border or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Hope, hopefully some peace can be made and we can focus more on, uh, you know, soccer and, and the likes in Ukraine. But unfortunately, I, I wouldn't hold my breath too, too much. Uh, but beyond that, the soccer world has responded in a multitude of different ways, uh, starting, I think, most directly are the Ukrainian players playing abroad. A lot of them do play in the domestic league, but uh, some of them play for, you know, Jack and I's team uh, yeah. for Atalanta and West Ham United. So, Jack, Atalanta and Ruslan Malinovsky, uh, I, I saw a lot of that uh, uh, news on Twitter and Reddit. So what happened with Malinovsky and Atalanta there? Yeah, well, Malinovsky, of course, a Ukrainian player for Atalanta. He's played for them for a few years now, and uh, he has been very vocal about, you know, not wanting war in Ukraine. It's it's where it's where he's from, and he has uh, and he has tweeted a lot about, you know, just pictures of Kiev and uh, other cities around Ukraine and what they've looked like after uh, the attacks, and also most notably. Uh, he, during their Europa League game, which we'll talk about some of the Europa League stuff, mm-hmm. he scored a brace in Atalanta's game against Olympiacos. And he raised his shirt and had a message that just said, no war in Ukraine. And this was on Thursday, before the invasion even started. So uh, that that just shows, you know, exactly how 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 fearful he was for, for his country, you know. And Atalanta has backed him up fully you know, supported that message. And uh, he's also given uh, a bunch of links on how to help Ukraine, which is really nice to see. You know, uh, it's clear that he really cares about uh, about his country and he really wants the best outcome for it. He's yeah. been retweeting a bunch of other resources about it. Nice, nice. Uh, going beyond that, of course, there's there's Ukrainians all over the soccer world, including uh, their former head coach, Andrei Shevchenko, who has told some pretty harrowing stories about how his family is still in Ukraine and he's calling on everybody to uh, support Ukraine, put pressure on Russia. And that's obviously cool to see a, a player that plays for West Ham, uh, Andrei Yarmolenko, mm-hmm. has uh, been given permission to kind of, you know, lay low, focus on himself, focus on his family uh, from West Ham. And so that's been cool to see. And just today, Declan Rice has... Uh, kind of revealed that West Ham United stand with him, stand with Ukraine, and will support him and Ukraine in whatever way they can. Uh, going to some other Premier League uh, players that are Ukrainian, Zinchenko of Manchester City and uh, Mikalenko of Everton both have voiced their displeasure with the entire situation and have called for uh, a, a peaceful resolution to everything. In fact, just before the Everton City game, they met before uh talked embraced and you know yep yeah it is right there yeah jack showed the picture i mean it's a it's a it's a touching it's a touching story uh among a lot of 
tragic stories, a lot of harrowing stories. So it's good to see that at the end of the day, the, the, the Ukrainian community is being supported by not only themselves, but a lot of the footballing world, including in particular, a lot of protests, a lot of uh, support from individual clubs, such as a lot of Premier League clubs. I know uh, the thing that popped up on my my Reddit front page just a couple days ago was uh, uh, Dynamo Zagreb fans in Croatia uh, chanting Ukraine uh, as a protest. Uh, I also saw Schalke who were sponsored by Gazprom, an yep. energy company, uh, a state energy company of Russia, basically ending their sponsorship deal. And for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know how bad Schalke's finances are. Yeah. So to take this step and be like, we don't care about the money, like, like screw off. Like we, we do not want to be associated at all with such a terrible act of war. Though those I, I gotta be honest, those are some really big balls from Schalke yeah. to take that step and potentially put their their financial future at risk. Yeah, and Manchester United did a similar thing. Yes, you know, sir. they cut a sponsorship with Russian airline Aeroflot. I don't I don't know how to yeah, pronounce yeah. it properly, but uh, you know that they that's still pretty huge as well because I believe there was still uh, it was worth about forty million oh, wow. pounds. Uh, and, you know, some things are just bigger than than uh, money, which will get to maybe why that isn't the case for some for some organizations. Yeah, maybe. And, and uh, beyond that, uh, Manchester United also had their own like team protest before their match. Uh, Everton and Man City, obviously, with those Ukrainian players, they also had their own protest uh, of all this. And throughout the entirety of the soccer world, even non-Ukrainians have uh called for peace to be made uh, on the Ukrainian-Russian border, including the likes of uh, Lewandowski, who plays for the, the Polish national team, which will come up a little bit later. Oh, well, I, I just realized, I just remembered, uh, did you see Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, I did message? Not, no. It, it was, uh, it, you could look it up. It was the most, I would say, PR kind of sounding message where he's just like i'm hoping for peace on earth was it twitter or instagram that it uh i i couldn't tell you but I if, think it's if, if you look it up yeah. it, it was basically along the lines of not calling out russia not even mentioning the the entire uh, situation at hand it was just like i want i want peace on earth and and glory to uh uh you know peace and it's great very very pr like that doesn't really mention uh, anything. Uh, I don't know if you were able to find it. I can't find okay. it. I think it might have been deleted. Yeah, I, I, I'd <laughs> hope so because uh, with a lot of people being very strong with with their support, to see Cristiano Ronaldo do what probably a, a superstar who depends on maybe Russian money for some sponsorship deals kind of sucks to see. We need a better world for our children. Praying for peace in our world. Yes, the most uh, uh, nothing speak I've ever heard. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, but speaking of nothing speak, let's talk about Chelsea yep, and yep. <laughs> Abramovich, their owner. Uh, Jack, why don't you walk us through that entire situation? Because for those of you who don't know, Abramovich is Russian, a Russian oligarch who owns a Chelsea football club, has done since uh, the early 2000s. And uh, some crazy news and implications there, Jack. Well, what's going on there? Uh, yeah, so Abramovich, like AJ said, has owned Chelsea since 2003, and uh, he is a Russian oligarch and has deep ties to the Kremlin, specifically Vladimir Putin. In fact, uh, a few, like I believe a year or two ago, 
Uh, there was a list by uh, Navalny who was running against uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, was eventually poisoned for running against Vladimir Putin. Yes. Uh, released a list of the eight oligarchs with the highest ties or biggest ties to Putin. Uh, and Abramovich was first or second on that list. And apparently Putin regards him as a son. Oh, wow. So, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So those ties are pretty deep. And yesterday, you know, they uh, Chelsea released a statement from Roman Abramovich, mm-hmm. which says basically uh, he's stepping away and he's putting the trustees of the Chelsea Charitable Foundation in charge of Chelsea, which sounds fine yeah. at first. It sounds completely benign. Doesn't sound like anything is that is that big of a deal about it. But when you think about it a little bit more, you know, th- this is just so just so stupid for so many reasons. You know, Abramovich is doing this because he wants to protect his assets. You know, the United Kingdom government is coming after assets of Russian oligarchs. And among all of those, Chelsea is one of the largest ones worth a lot of money and Abramovich uses it as a platform to give to get global influence. And as a result, you know, he doesn't want to lose that platform. So if you've ever seen like The Simpsons, there is an episode where Mr. Burns <laughs> basically appoints, I believe it's a parrot to the head of the of the power plant of the Springfield uh-huh, right. nuclear plant and says it's this is so I can't so it doesn't get taken away from me and I can't be prosecuted. That's exactly what this is. This yes. is. This is just safeguarding his asset and making sure it's uh, it's there for him, you know, so he has the money. He has that influence still. And I saw way, way, way too many Chelsea fans saying, you know, oh, this is such a brave statement. He truly cares about the club. No, not true. He doesn't care. Right. He cares about his own influence and his own financial well-being. He's doing it for himself. He wants to keep his asset and he doesn't want to lose his cultural power and wealth. Uh, none of the stuff he's done for the club has truly been for the community. I, I, I don't care what people are saying like about, you know, oh, but what about the vaccine clinics he did? And what about all? Uh, what about the help to the NHS? You're falling into the trap and mm-hmm. you've, you've fallen into the trap, as a matter of fact, to be influenced by this by Russian power to kind of brush it off and say, oh, but they've done so much good. Well, at the same time. It, he he may not be directly aiding Putin in invading Ukraine, but he is abetting it. He's not he's not saying, oh, yeah, well, you should stop doing that. He's not speaking out or anything. He's hiding away on his yacht, I think, in like in I, I, don't, I don't know where I think St. Martin or something like he he's not sure. he's not in Russia and he's not in London because he's basically been banned from living there. That's that that's that that was bad enough. But. The thing that makes it even worse earlier today is Chelsea released a club statement about this, uh, about the entire situation in Ukraine. Right. And you're and I was thinking, okay, this this is a big moment because Roman Abramovich is not currently in charge of the club theoretically. Right. So this should be a moment for Chelsea to make an important statement and Mm -hmm. say exactly where they stand on things. And uh, well, I mean, I guess they said where they stood in that. They stand nowhere. Uh, the statement, and I'm just going to read the entire thing okay. because that's that should tell you enough about it. The situation in Ukraine is horrific and devastating. Chelsea FC's thoughts are with everyone in Ukraine. Everyone at the club prays for peace. Interesting. That's it. There's no mention of Russia. 
Right. There's no mention of anything else in there. It's just the situation is bad. We pray for peace. So so is everyone sounds, else. Yeah, it sounds like Ronaldo's statement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is this is the most PR statement you could possibly give. And it's just it's it's just awful. Like come come on, speak out actually. If if you're if you're trying to like, you know, if Roman Abramovich is trying to distance himself from the club to protect it, if if you're following that logic that he's actually doing this in the interest of the club, him stepping away should give the club free license to be able to say that. Yeah. But they haven't, which shows once again how that power has influenced Chelsea. Uh, and this brings up the question uh, that, you know, I think we, we can discuss a little bit more. Should Roman Abramovich, as a few labor MPs in the UK have suggested, should he be forced to sell Chelsea? I think it, it's one of those things where if you have to force him to sell the club, by logically following that logic, you should also force the likes of Saudi Arabia and Newcastle to sell uh, their club. And that's not to say that a lot of people don't also agree that I agree with that. A lot of labor MPs will probably agree with that, too. They're pushing for that sale to not be finalized. So, yes, I, I do think so, especially when you consider that this move, I, I don't know if it has any actual legal bearing to uh move the 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 ownership to the trustees because uh i I was reading in the news just uh, earlier today and it looks like the trustees don't even want to gain stewardship because they don't want it to maybe become a front for abramovich Uh, what was what actually happened here was the trustees don't want that that sudden suggestion that they're going to be running it because they don't know uh, whether or not like how the sanctions are going to affect the club if they own it they also don't know if because the foundation is a charity i, I think the trustees are the ones that actually own stanford bridge is that mm-hmm. correct uh i believe so yeah yeah I, I i they don't know if owning the actual football club is not allowed given that they are supposed to be a non-profit charity and th- this is this is absolutely wild like like Abramovich didn't even reach out to the trustees and be like, hey, what do you guys think about this? It was basically, as uh, Neville pointed out uh, earlier today, it's a hospital pass for, yeah. for them to, to take the brunt of, the, uh, brunt of the, the, the sanctions, like you mentioned. And it, it's, it's literally just him covering uh, up his tracks. So I think, I, think I, don't, I don't know the legal implications of forcing him to sell his assets, because the club does owe over a billion pounds or so to, uh, back to Abramovich. But if, if there's any reason to do it, uh, I think this is a, a pretty good one, to say the least. Yeah, uh, as a fan of Chelsea, and I know a lot of people disagree with me. And do you know how I know that? It's because I did a poll yesterday on our Twitter about this. Uh, and 68% of people, of 28 people, so I think that makes it about uh, 19 people. Yeah. Uh, said that he should not be forced to sell it. Boo. 9% said, yes, he should be forced to sell it. And what I think, I think he should. I, I really think so. I don't care how many trophies he, his ownership has won Chelsea. Trophies are cool. But do you want to know what's cooler? Democracy and freedom. That's, I, that's my opinion. Yeah, hot take. <laughs> yeah, I know, hot take, right? Uh, at, but if you, if you look through like comments on stuff, it seems like it is a hot take. Like Chelsea fans are like, no, Abramovich, don't sell the club. And I'm like, are you kidding? This has been a tool of global influence 
for not just Abramovich, but for Russia as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's an example that that they can use to say, oh, look, Russian ownership isn't that bad. Look at look at all we've done for like uh, English sport and stuff like that. Who cares? I don't. I, I, I would rather honestly, I would rather go 10 years, 10 tw- years, 20 years, 50 years without a trophy. If 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 that's what the cost really was, just just to get him out of there. I, okay. I think I think he he needs Hot to take. go. I, I think he needs to go. It's it's bad. Like it's it's a tool of soft power. And I've said soft power a lot. That basically just means any like cultural power that isn't military related, mm-hmm. like diplomatic, uh, cultural. That's basically yeah. what it means. We've talked about this in our sports washing deep dive a while back. If you are curious about that, definitely go listen to that. Uh, but yeah, even even back in that episode, I think we did mention Abramovich and R- Russian soft power, Russian sports washing. So cringe, cringe, cringe. But what's not cringe is the fact that um, unlike Chelsea, a lot of national teams have spoken out against uh, Russia, especially the ones that are in that World Cup qualifying group with them because Russia did not di- directly qualify for the World Cup. They are in right now a four team group. And the winner of that uh, mini playoff series would go on to uh, qualify the world for the World Cup. But at, for, for the last couple of days, a lot of them have released statements saying under absolutely no circumstances, whether it be away or home at a neutral ground, no matter what, will they be willing to play Russia in a World Cup qualifying game? Those three teams being Sweden, Poland and the Czech Republic and going even beyond that. A lot of just regular national teams, uh, most notably that I've seen uh, was Albania and the English uh, FA have said, again, under no circumstances will we uh, deal with, play or interact with the Russian FA for uh, the, the, the men's team, the women's team, the youth teams, the para, the para teams, nothing, absolutely nothing. And I personally think that's pretty cool because at the very least, no matter no matter what happens, it does put pressure on UEFA, FIFA, and the Russian FA to at least make some actions. Jack, would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they've I I really like their statements that they've made, and also like the players have made statements. You know, uh, Wojciech Szczesny of Juventus mm-hmm. plays for Poland, released a statement saying he would never play against Russia. Robert Lewandowski, uh, who also donned a Ukraine captain's yes. armband uh, in his in the game against Eintracht Frankfurt, I believe, mm-hmm. this weekend. Uh, he, he released a similar statement, you know, that's cool to see. And I, I, I fully support that move. Yeah. And, uh, going even beyond that, I think just in general, it, it takes, it takes a lot of courage for these teams to do it. Cause right now, uh, given, uh, what, what UEFA can, can do, what FIFA can do, these national teams don't know if them refusing to play Russia will take them out of world cup contention. They're taking that risk. They're taking that risk because they they care about the player safety because they don't want to obviously go into Moscow during the height of this war. And they care more broadly about the morals of it, which you can you, you, can, you can definitely make the argument that uh, there's a bit of a moral. Uh, there's a bit of moral discrepancy wanting to, you know, not play Russia, but also being willing to go to Qatar. That's a whole other story. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, but but looking at this case right now, it does take a lot of courage to refuse to play Russia, given the consequences could be negative for those three teams and beyond. Uh, but what 
the, the, the organizations that don't have a lot of courage right now, I would say, are UEFA and FIFA. Because uh, there's a lot of things that they should be doing, a lot of things they could be doing, and a lot of things they aren't doing. So at the very least, UEFA moved the Champions League final from St. Petersburg, where, which is uh, where it was supposed to be this year, to a Stade de France in France, uh, which is not only, I guess, a positive move, but obviously it's the pretty much only move you can do to ensure player and fan safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're sending people to go to St. Petersburg for the Champions League final is just ridiculous and also helps support their economy. And uh, if you're, if, you know, I'm not sure how possible that's going to be with sanctions and everything. Yeah, uh, so. oh, uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of these uh, movements, I suppose, that these uh, organizations are taking are in some way a form of economic sanction on Russia, which is they're a gross understatement here. They are getting hit so incredibly hard by sanctions. It is absolutely crazy to see the power that globalization has on uh, uh, the economies of these different places. But yes, uh, but I would also say that them moving the Champions League final out of St. Petersburg might also just be an economic incentive for them as well, considering that I doubt that they'd get a lot of fans going, uh, which would be that sweet, sweet gate receipts that they Pro- want. Yeah, probably none, actually, if if the trend continues with blocking flights as yeah, well. Exactly. Like, so, yeah, probably yeah. no no money. And so, uh, UEFA, you know, they love money. They so. love money. They do. FIFA love money, too, to the point where uh, UEFA just released a statement on uh, Russia's eligibility i suppose jack do you want to go over what they said just today at the time of recording i have not seen it yet let me let me quick or, or, or was it fifa was it oh fifa, FIFA. Yeah, oh yeah, i've sure, seen sure, fifa's sure. statement yes yeah, yes uh, yes about uh i have unfortunately seen it and let's just say i'm a bit disappointed about it mm-hmm. yeah so the sanctions specifically on russia there's three key sanctions the first one is that no international competition shall be played in russia with home matches being played on neutral territory and without spectators. Good. I, I think that's a good move, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's definitely something that is... It's a positive step. Uh, they also say that no flag or anthem of Russia will be used in matches where teams from Russia participate. Also pretty good. I, I think that that's pretty good. And then we get to the last part of this, right. which is shockingly on brand for FIFA, which is... The member association representing Russia shall participate in any competition under the name Football Union of Russia and not Russia. Um, so as uh, at USMNT Thoughts points out, uh, FIFA is basically saying you need to change your name to totally not Russia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is just so, so dumb. It's like the it's like the ROC move for, um, for the Olympics. For the Olympics. Yeah, yeah it's. Everyone knows it's still Russia. Like it, it literally has Russia in the name. <laughs> like you're not you're not even trying to hide that it's still Russia. Like th- this is absolutely ridiculous. And I did some research into it because you know there there have been some calls to ban them from the World Cup, which I, I looked in and was like, is there precedent for that? And there cool. there is there is. FIFA has banned a few teams in the past, but three that I looked at, they've banned Mexico for the from the '94 World Cup. Chile from the 94 World Cup, and Myanmar from the 2006 World Cup. The reasons for that, Mexico used an overage player in a youth cup competition. Mm -hmm. They banned them from the World Cup for that. Great. Uh, Myanmar 
didn't want to play in Iran because there was a war going on. They banned them from the competition. Uh, Chile banned them for their goalkeeper, Rojas, faking an injury, hiding a razor blade in his glove to cut himself so it looked like he had gotten hit by a flare. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, that, 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 one, that one's pretty crazy. Yeah, that one's pretty crazy. <laughs> but I would argue that none of those right. yeah, yeah, yeah. rise to the level of invading another country. And it's worth noting, Germany, uh, Italy, and I believe Japan were all banned from the 1950 World Cup because, you know, they started World War II. Mm, never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's absolutely ridiculous that the, the punishment for them invading a sovereign country and killing civilians is you have to be a different name and not play your anthem. Yeah. That's, that is the most pointless, pointless sanction mm-hmm. I think you, you could possibly give. You're not restricting their ability whatsoever. You're literally only saying, uh, you play nicer now, but as a different name. Yeah, I mean, and, and to be fair, like back back in the in the '90s, there were a couple of countries that were barred not just from the World Cup, but from a lot of sporting events due to a lot of injustices in their countries. Uh, South Africa, obviously, put, right? They were banned mind. from 1966 to 1990. Yeah, for apartheid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yugoslavia in the Euro '92 mm-hmm. were replaced uh, by Denmark, who, who won. Had, yeah, who won the competition uh, because of all the things happening in Yugoslavia. Yep. So there's precedent set by not just sporting events, but actually like organizations like UEFA and FIFA. So this is a perfect time to bar them from the World Cup after these actions. And then I also have to mention that I've seen a lot of people talk about, well, how come we're banning, uh, we're banning Russia, but not banning Qatar, not banning a lot of these other countries. I don't know. Uh, Israel, Saudi Arabia, who are actively in conflict, uh, which could come into conflict with uh, their footballing interests. Uh, and first of all, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I agree. I agree. We should ban them as well. Yeah, we shouldn't have a World Cup in Qatar. Yeah. We, we, we probably uh, should have some sort of sanctions against the, these teams when they attack fellow uh, footballing nations, uh, and that comes into conflict with whatever we want to do like yes absolutely uh but unfortunately for those countries and for russia in particular a lot of this does come down to financial incentive gazprom like i mentioned sponsoring shalka is also a sponsor of uefa a lot lot of sponsorship ties there lots of things that they could probably a lot of money they could potentially lose by uh, cutting ties so and you know fifa they they've been they've been big fans of Russia in the past, you know. They hosted they hosted the World Cup there in yeah, 2018 a, a, after four years after Crimea was invaded. Exactly, like they they have they they're complicit in in this kind of yes. stuff as well. They they have directly aided Russia's ability to influence the world because after the World Cup in 2018, what were people talking about in Russia? It was no longer about oh yeah they they lock up their own citizens and invade and invaded Crimea. It was, oh, they built great stadiums and hosted a great World Cup. I didn't the, think so. I, I, <laughs> I mean, like, that, that's the narrative shift that, that yeah, happened yeah. in so many people's minds, though. And that, that's, that, that's, that just helps them mm-hmm. gain power, gain legitimacy. And that's exactly what Russia wants. They want 
that legitimacy. So denying them it by doing this is would be would be the right move. Yeah. But FIFA isn't often interested in making the right move, only the one that makes them the most money. But but the good news is, is even though they have enforced this, Poland, Czech Republic, uh, Albania, all, all these other countries, uh, Sweden, they have went out and said, like, this isn't good enough. We're still mm-hmm. not going to play. Yeah. Sc- screw you, FIFA. Under, under absolutely no circumstances during a wartime are we going to <laughs> willingly enter a country, willingly play them. So at least those national teams have some integrity, which yeah. I, th- I think the conclusion that I want to come here, come out of this is keep on giving the pressure, whether it's, uh, you know, we saw it in the past MLS openers, uh, a lot of teams have Ukrainian flags, uh, a, a lot of uh, teams abroad, not just from MLS, but across the country, across the nation, across the world, voice their, their support for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Keep on doing that. Keep on shouting at Infantino and all, all the, the stupid FIFA and UEFA officials. But more importantly, because a lot of the national teams do have a, some power here, go to them, support them when they make these statements, and just, I, I know there's not a lot we can do as like individuals right now, but the very least we can do is give that support and, and hopefully put some pressure on teams to take some actions, especially if they have uh, current ties to Russia. Uh, whether it be through sponsorship or ownership, or at the very least, uh, get them to give some signal of support to Ukraine. Yeah. I'll, I'll say one more thing. If fans got as mad as they did about the Super League, uh, and that, you know, the Super League was not a good idea. Yeah. But if you got that mad over the Super League, get 10 times as mad if your club is still, or club or country, is still trying to support, you know, these weak fifa actions Mm -hmm. or uh and give give 10 times the amount of support you know as as you as you would to anything else you know they these teams are making a stand and they deserve to be rewarded for that and i i swear if 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 fifa just goes around and awards russia the win from that path i i will i will lose my mind i i think i think i might actually uh like uh why why can't i think of the word the word right now I'm not going to watch the, the, the World Cup at that point. Yeah. I can't think of the right word for it. Boycott. 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 <laughs> I, I, I've lost a lot of sleep watched, looking at a lot of news. So yeah, I, I, uh, but boy, I, I would boycott the World Cup because yeah. Russia should have nothing to do with this World Cup. Mm-hmm. I, I personally think, you know, you give the team that got third in their group the spot. Sure. Slovakia. Are you wearing the jersey right now? Maybe uh, uh, that, that that seems like a fair a fair statement. Okay. You know? uh, otherwise, you know, give it give it to uh, whoever had the third place team that had the best points total. Sure, which I think is Finland. Maybe uh, it's either Finland or uh, Slovakia. Just okay. give it, give it give it to anyone but Russia. Basically, like yes, I agree, they they're not deserving of it. Yes, I agree. As this story continues, we'll talk about it. But of course. This has been the biggest news story of 2022 so far. So yep. the way that affects soccer is very unique. And the way that it plays into the politics of this entire situation is very unique. So we thought we'd cover it because I feel like not a lot of people have really thought about it or at the very least gone as in-depth as we have in the past 30 minutes. So yes, uh, screw Russia, screw Qatar, screw Saudi Arabia. Uh, uh, Qatar World Cup is an illegitimate World Cup. Yeah. So was 
in all reality, the Russian World Cup as well. All right. Let's try to move on to a bit of happier news uh, from uh, some serious news. Uh, Before that, Jack, let's talk about some uh, trivia with Jack's stat padding section where he asks me five trivia questions. And I try to get them right. Listeners uh, can play along and see if they can do better than me. But Jack, you alluded to a certain birthday theme for this uh, uh, stat padding. So hit me with it. Yeah. So I I was thinking about this and... You know, at the beginning of every episode, you introduce yourself as a fan of Minnesota United, oh West Ham United, oh and the U.S. national teams. So I thought, let's see how well AJ knows those four teams that he that he professes. Spoiler alert, probably not well, but go ahead. <laughs> so I, I've, came, I've come up with five questions, five stats. Okay. And you're going to have to rank those four teams in those stats. Okay. So, 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 so West Ham United. West Ham United, Minnesota United. And the U.S. and women's national teams. Okay. It's it's a little strange because you know national teams to club teams sure, is a bit sure. difficult to compare. But I've come up with a, some stats to figure it out. So, are you ready? You're you have so there's 20 points available. You have to rank them. Okay. All right. Sure. Sure. Are Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. So for the first one, I think this is an easier one. Which team in the last year had the highest goals per game ratio in competitive teams? In incompetitive play. So first through fourth. Okay. Oh, man. Okay, well, first, I'm obviously going to put the U.S. women's national team on there. You, okay. can, you, you can't uh, score 13 goals against Thailand and not have a high goals per game. Uh, I, I think I'm going to start from the bottom uh, okay. next. I think, I think it's got to go to... It's got to go to <laughs> West Ham United because there were a couple of years where we didn't score a lot. Of it's goals. in the last year. In the last in year? In the last year. Okay, yes. the last year. I'm still going to go through U.S. women's national team on top. Then I'm actually going to on the bottom. I'm going to go with U.S. men's national team. Okay. So I feel like we haven't had a lot of blowout wins, a lot of 1-0 wins. Uh, and then I'm going to go to Minnesota United because kind of the same story. And I'll go West Ham United because we've had a pretty good season. You got one out of four correct. Dang it. You got the U.S. right, the U.S. women's right. Okay, yep. well, they good. are in first, 2.4 goals per match. Okay. Pretty pretty good ratio. Even, uh, uh, but Minnesota United is last, mm. 1.2 goals per match. I should have seen that coming. West Ham is in third wow, with really? 1.62. And the U.S. men's national team just barely okay. 1.64 goals okay. per match. Like literally, so, so it's close, 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 close. You, you, you were pretty close on that, and a lot of that comes from you know the Gold Cup. You know we had a six-one win oh, in that's, that. I you know completely forgot about we had that. a six-one win. We had a four-one win against El Salvador. The three-two win against Mexico. So there, there were we haven't scored a ton of goals mm-hmm. in some games, but when we do score a lot, we score a lot. So that was the most nothing sentence okay. at the end. Okay. But uh, so one out of four. Uh, not the greatest start, but let's go on that's to the right, next one. Right. So, which team had the highest clean sheet percentage? So, uh, I, I, I tried using the term clean sheets per game, but that made no sense. Okay. So, percentage of clean sheets over the last year, again, in competitive play. In competitive play. Yep. I'm actually going to... I want to say U.S. Women's National Team is uh, is miles above the competition, but I'm remembering like the Olympics didn't go too well for them. Uh, are we, are you including She Believes Cup? Yes, I'm believing okay. She Believes. I'm, I'm, uh, so 
it for if I if the competitions that I'm counting for each of these women's national team Olympics and she believes cup. OK, men's national team, Nations League, Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying. Uh, and then, you know, Minnesota United is MLS. West Ham is Europa League, FA Cup, EFL Cup, Premier League. Okay. Oh, man, I'm just going to I'm going to shoot in the dark here. I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with. I'm not going to look at you, Jax. I know it's going to give away. <laughs> I'm going to go with Minnesota United on top, followed by the U.S. Women's National Team, followed by the U.S. Men's National Team, followed by West Ham. And I'm guessing that's completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's completely oh, wrong. Dang it. Uh, West Ham. Uh, so let, let's start from the bottom. Minnesota United has the worst. Oh. 11 out of 34. So 33%. Millard. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dane St. Clair didn't have a great time uh, at the beginning of the season. Yes. So uh, West Ham is actually next. 37%. 14 mm. out of 38 games. Uh, U.S. Women's National Team is in second. Wow, U.S. Men's National Team. Which actually, I, I realize... Puts puts get gets you one point on that. Oh, okay. So okay, there so. you go. Right. You got one point. Uh forty-four percent. And then the men's national team, fifty-eight percent of their games had a clean sheet. Eleven out of nineteen. Okay. So, you know, uh Matt Turner, you forgot about him. You you <laughs> underestimated him. I did, I guess I did. Yeah. So you you've gotten one out of one out of four in both of the first two. All so right. not bad. Let's not see bad. if you can turn it around on the next one. Which team found themselves in the most red card trouble over the past year with, again, a kind of a weird way to measure it, highest red cards per match. Again, all of these teams play different numbers of matches. Okay. So in an effort to try and do it. And again, competitive play. I'm going to go with women's national team on the bottom, men's national team third, Minnesota United second, and I'm remembering all the, the stupid red cards for West Ham, so I'm putting them on top. You're so close to getting 100%. Ah. Uh, so let's start from the top. It's actually Minnesota United with the most red really? cards. Yes. Uh, 0.089 red cards per match. Not They've not got bad. three in the past year. Okay. West Ham have had five in the last year, but have played double the amount of matches. Right. So 0.067. Such a hard way to think about it. Yeah, though. exactly. That, that's, right. the hard, that's the hard way to think about it. Men's national team. Uh, one red card in 19. Do you know who that was? Uh, yes, that would. Why can't I think of it? It's Miles Robinson. Oh, right. Miles right, Robinson yes, against yes, Mexico yes. in the last minute yes, of, yes. of that game. And the U.S. Women's National Team had zero yeah, in their nine I, matches. I, I, so, I didn't know that. I so know there, that. there you go. Uh, you, you got two, right? An improvement All right, on that. All right. So uh, next one. Which team had the highest win percentage in competitive matches over the past year? Okay. All so. Right. Uh, I'm going to go with U.S. men's national team on top. Only lost like two or so games or whatever. Uh, and then I'm going to go ooh, ooh, ooh. U.S. I want to say women's national team. Those, those Olympics were, were very hard to watch. Oh, and I, I'm, I'm also uh, draws and losses both don't count as wins. Uh, yeah, yes, of course, so. of course. Yep. Uh, so I'm going to go with this might be a hot take. West Ham United. Okay. And Oh man, uh, I'm I'm trying to think about the, all all the the stats for uh, the the Olympics. So I'm gonna go with Minnesota United then the U.S. Women's National Team. Okay, you got half of it correct again. Okay, not bad, not the bad. The men's national team by far and away yes. best win ratio, seventy three percent. Wow, let's in go. 2021, Ooh, pretty good uh, in competitive play. And then the uh, West Ham is next, fifty nine percent actually in all okay. competitions. Let's so go. pretty good. 
U.S. women's national team is actually in third okay. with 44%. And Minnesota United is in last with only 38% oh, matches won oh, in the last man. year. So not, not great. Uh, but, you know, when you play a lot more matches, that ends up happening. So you, you've improved on the, last, on the last two. You've gotten more than one correct. In, I'm, I'm, I'm six for 16 right now. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Not not hey, too hey, <laughs> ten out ten out of twenty right now. Yep, going going yep. for fifty percent. All right. So, final question: What team had the most different players represent that club or country during the last year? This took me like literally an hour to research. I went through every match lineup and counted every oh single gosh, player. Crazy that All is right, played. I like it though. I'm gonna go with Minnesota United last because okay. Adrian Heath does not like to switch things around fair rationale fair rationale i know uh and then david Moyes also doesn't like to do that but i know he had he was forced to use uh, a lot of different players uh for injury reasons a lot of youth players plus we play in a lot of different competitions so there's a lot more opportunity for that uh u.s men's national team that those lineups are pretty set but i feel like there's been enough uh rotation with the gold cup nations league that I don't even know what I'm saying right. I'm, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go with men's national team on top, women's national team second, and then third West Ham United, because I know national teams there's there's ingrained rotation no matter what. So you have done it. You've gotten ten really? out of twenty. Let's yes. go. Uh, so Minnesota United is indeed in last place. Mm-hmm. Twenty eight players played for Minnesota United the last season. West Ham, not much better. You were right. David Moyes doesn't like to use a lot of players. Mm-hmm. Only twenty nine. Okay. have played oh, over the past okay. year so very close that includes one player who has played three minutes total nice but did count him anyway because i, I, I had i, I had to give no idea who that is i don't remember either okay. i remember it was an 18 Good. year older but that's it uh u.s women's national team 34 different players mm-hmm. have played mm-hmm. because remember she believes cup and the olympics yes vastly different rosters yes, very yes, little yes. carryover and the u.s men's national team how many do you think? How many do you think played for the U.S. men's national team? I'll go fifty. It's actually only forty-two, which was okay. a little bit lower than I expected. Me too. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, still, pretty pretty interesting. There were a few that I forgot about in there, like Jaukini uh, playing in the Gold Cup. Oh yeah, wow. forgot about him. Mark Mc, Mark McKenzie didn't really forget about him, but uh, you know he did play. Sam Vines mm-hmm. play, played there, uh, but yeah, I. That took a long time to research, All but right. you did in fact yes. get 10 out of 20, 50%. 50%? Not too bad, given that ranking stuff is difficult. Hey, so. with a curve, that could be like a B. I don't know. <laughs> with an engineering curve. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, listeners, I hope uh, you probably don't follow uh, all those teams the same way I do, but uh, hopefully, maybe you could have guessed, and it would be kind of embarrassing if you did better than me <laughs> after all that, but yeah. All right, we got a couple more stories, uh, particularly uh, Bielsa and the EFL Cup final. Jack, let's talk about the EFL Cup final. Uh, do we have to? Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, we do, unfortunately. Okay. I'm sorry. But I will say, as a neutral, it was one of, if not the best, 0-0 Cup final draws I have ever, ever seen. It had everything. Yeah. Controversy true. to bad tackles to a, a penalty kick for, a penalty kick shootout for the ages. Jack, let's let's go through Chelsea versus Liverpool at Wembley Stadium for the EFL Cup final in 2022. Let's start with uh, some of the the missed chances by Chelsea. <laughs> Which one? Which one? Well, Which one? Uh, from my count, there were quite a few. I, yeah. I know uh, 
we don't really have to go really in order because, uh, you know, it was 0-0 zero, zero going up until the 120th minute. But I know Mason Mount had quite a few misses in that first half. And I, I like to think of Mason Mount being a very, you know, clinical goal scorer. He's able I like to, to he, as well. He's able to put him away. <laughs> I, I think back to his times in the Champion League campaign last season. And there's that one uh, sequence where... Pulisic had a great run. I think mm-hmm. set up Havertz yep. to pass it to Mount, and Mount just... I don't know. The, the worst one by far is when he has a one-on-one. One one. It was a perfect lofted pass. Yes. Runs straight through the center. It goes through to the, to, to the corner, and, I'm, and I'm, about, I'm cheering. Like, I'm about to cheer. Bounces off the post and yes. out. And I was like, oh! I just... I, I, I kind of collapsed the floor seeing that, because I, that was the... One of the worst misses, I think. Like it might be worse than some of Werner's misses from mm-hmm. last season, and there were some bad ones. Yeah, he, he did. He did uh, miss two uh, big chances. Yep, sounds for, about right. <laughs> uh, Chelsea, which makes up uh, uh, two out of two out of the three that were <laughs> missed uh, by Chelsea. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm forgetting what the other one is. In case you know it, I want to say maybe it was. Uh, I think did, did mm. Havertz have a miss or no? He no. was just offside. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of offside. I think it might have been Christian Pulisic who drove it straight at okay. uh, Kellier. Okay, I, I think in like the tenth minute or something mm-hmm. like that. That's what I want to say it was. Yeah, but I can't quite remember. And, and, and it's not like Liverpool didn't have their own fair share of misses. Uh, Salah, in, I believe, in the second half, kind of uh, got, got away from from the Chelsea defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of had a nice shot, but it was cleared by uh, Tiago Silva, Silva, 37 years old, still fantastic. Yeah. And uh, of course it wasn't just uh, Salah. A lot of these players, uh, Luis Diaz uh, and Mane, you know, I'm not going to say they didn't have a great uh, finishing day, even though you could make that argument. Yeah. But I mean, Mendy had a better goalkeeping day than they had a finishing day. That's Mm -hmm. because Mendy was incredible in this game. Lights out from uh, Mendy and and Kelleher, which I, I, Kelleher is there, Liverpool's you know cup goalkeeper. Yep. I've not thought about him pretty much at all this entire year. <laughs> I don't think many people have. And and here he comes, coming up big. Both Mendy and Kelleher were among the, the best rated on uh, on foot mob. And yeah, uh, uh, Mendy faced uh, six shots, Same six saves. Six, yep. uh, Kelleher, four shots, four saves. Very, very uh, good clean sheets from the both of them. And overall, I, I thought it was a very exciting match given all, all of those uh, chances that were just, just a little bit off, uh, wide. A lot of offsides as yeah. well. Uh, I, I think it should have been 1-1, and it, sh- it probably still should have gone to extra time, but I think it should have been 1-1. Because I, I think it's arguable that each side should have had a goal given. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, the, the biggest offsides were, well, late in the game, there's the Havertz. That one was clearly offside. That one I'm not going to argue with at all. Uh, Lukaku had one where that one I think that's onside. Yeah, yeah. He, so so he he was running a uh, pretty much flush with uh, the, the the last the Chelsea mm-hmm. uh, the last uh, Liverpool, Liverpool man. Yep. And what it seemed like is, it seemed like his the end of his sleeve yeah. was just offside. The, he he rolled his sleeve down too yeah. much. Yeah, exactly. That's that's ridiculous. Because because obviously they don't count like the hands now yep. at, for uh, offside. But they will go even a millimeter offside as being offside. Yeah. My, my question is, how much does the one millimeter of sleeve give him an advantage in I, that situation? That's my question. I, like, I, you know, I that's, that, so. that's, the, that's the thing that's ridiculous with offside. I think it was Stu Holden who tweeted this. Yeah. Saying, 
MLS does this way better. It does. Like, if it's clear and obvious, like, you know, they're like a foot offside. Yeah, they have an advantage. But, 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 it, but what was crazy is that check was literally like five seconds. They're yeah, like, exactly. They're like, is he offside? Oh, yeah, he is offside. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, so I don't think it's like an issue of VAR. I think it's like just a, an issue of how the refs view offside. Like, yeah. like fundamentally, like what they value as being offside. Because they're like, oh, yeah. Given my like view of what offside is, he is offside, mm-hmm. and it is consistent. But I don't think it's right. Yeah. Here, here, here's what I here's what I would say to it. If a Liverpool player would have complained if the ball had hit him here, like, and he controlled the ball, mm-hmm. I'm pointing just above my my elbow for the listeners. Yeah. Uh, if he is controlling it right at that point in the arm, are the Liverpool players going to call for like? A handball. That's good. That's a good way to look. Because at it. if if they're if they're going to appeal for that, then then it wouldn't be allowed regardless, right? Mm-hmm. And if it hits them like right where the sleeve ends, they're probably still going to call for yeah. for a handball. Yeah, I think it's like it's like what the, the shoulder, the shoulder, yeah, yeah, the shoulder. So, but that one millimeter <laughs> that gives no advantage whatsoever. And if he's running literally right with, I, I think it's Matip that he's running yeah. right with then he's not getting an advantage here. He doesn't have one. And, uh, you know, Van Dyke, even further up the field, is even, fur- even, is even further up the field than he is. Yeah. I, I think that that was the worst, like, maybe not the worst VAR decision. Uh, in, it, for me, it was. But Liverpool fans and maybe some other fans have a different opinion on what yeah. the worst uh, VAR decision was. Yeah, because of... Another offside that was called was, I believe it was uh, Matip's goal. Yep, Matip's goal yeah, because it, Van Dyke is holding back Reese James mm-hmm. and he is slightly offside by, you know, maybe two, three inches. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's really small again. Uh, but he's interfering Reese James from running and marking yeah. Sadio Mane. And, and if, if, uh, if Reese James was able to get past uh, Matip there or uh, Van, Dyke. Best Van Dyke, he, Maybe could have stopped Mane from uh, setting heading it across, uh, yeah. Matip uh, with the cross, yeah. So it it is offside. How much of an advantage is uh, you know, Van Dyke being in that exact position, right. Really giving his team. I, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And, and so honestly, I I do agree. It, it probably could have been one one. I, I think that is a lot more clear that it is offside than Lukaku is being offside so i i'd honestly if it was one to zero through that lukaku goal mm-hmm. I, I could see that i could see that being ca- the case i wish it was the case I, because I, the penalty shootout uh but before the penalty okay, shootout, yeah, I, I do yeah. want to bring up uh, something that you texted me and you were mad about after uh, that matip goal uh that was disallowed which was uh, a certain was that chalaba getting some studs to the nuts that was yeah yeah, uh, he he prevented he 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 probably uh, just made him infertile, Kata. Yeah, he I I think it should have been a red, and uh, I I think there's a case for it. I I, I yeah, it's I mean <laughs> yeah. it's it's a fifty fifty. You can say it's a fifty fifty, but at the end of the day, Kata rushes that, in. That, that's such a that's such a, a wild like yeah position like, to put yourself right. In. And here here's the thing. Here's the two aggravating factors really that makes me think this is a red card. Sure, it's a fifty fifty, right? But Keita comes in with his boot, like, up to his stomach. Like, it because Chalaba's jumping off the ground. So to hit him where he hit him, his boot had to be really high up. And it's not like he's, like, pointing his toe or anything, yeah. right? 
it's a, it's a it's like a straight studs into it. Studs chunk. into his nuts. Yes. Yeah, it's it looks painful. I I feel bad for him. Uh, yeah, you know I <laughs> I feel really bad for him. But like I think that's a red. I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong to say that that's no of course because not. think about the red cards that have been given in the Premier League, right? And and, and here's my uh my like caliber that you have to reach. Mm-hmm. I was watching with my girlfriend uh, this game, and she even was like. She's like, how is he still like, yeah. like playing if, if he did that? I will say my sister to annoy me said, oh, he should get up. I was uh, like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but my uh, uh, caliber thing to be reached is if I think Granite Shaco would get a red for it, it's a red. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you with 100% certainty, if Granite Shaka did that, sent off three games of suspension. Yeah, sure. yeah. So, I, I think it's a ridiculous challenge. Yeah. And the fact that like, I know... I feel like VAR should be able to at least give a yellow. I know that's not in the rules, but for him to walk away with nothing from it. That's crazy. Like, it, I, I don't even think Chelsea got a free kick from it. I think it was a drop ball. Yeah, like maybe. Because it was, a, it was a 50-50. Sure. Stupid. Like, I, I, I feel like for him to walk away with nothing yeah. is just bad, mm-hmm. you know. Yet, throughout all of this, it felt like both sides had their chances. Chelsea... Despite the the maybe crappy offside, despite the red card maybe not being given their way, I still think they had all the opportunity to score. All oh the yeah, they did. Put yeah. themselves ahead. In fact, the fact that spoiler alert, Liverpool won. I, I think that's pretty squarely like Ch- Chelsea just should have done better there because it went into penalty kicks. Uh, Mendy, who was definitely one of the men of the matches, mm-hmm. if not the man of the match, was subbed off in favor of Kepa who that's happened for uh, this, I, I think it's a, I think I, I still support the decision I, I tweeted it too I think it's worked in the Super Cup it's worked with a, a lot of cup competitions yeah I mean Kepa is historically Chelsea's best ever penalty saver in shootouts he has the most saves in shootout history for Chelsea he has nine saves I believe like you you don't you don't just leave him on the bench especially when it worked in the Super Cup yeah. right so do, do you think the fact that Mendy did pretty well in the AFCON uh, shootout, maybe lead some credence towards keeping him in? Or do you still think that Kepa should have, that this was the right decision? You know, I, I think I think either way is, is a good call. I, I, okay. I would have been fine if Mendy had stayed on. I, I'm fine with Kepa yeah. coming on, you know, because, at, you know, I do think while the shootout loss is technically his fault because he should have saved uh, the 10th penalty from Konate, yeah. probably should have saved that one. Uh, and he... I mean, he why uh, he he tried out for the NFL. You know, he he heard the Vikings needed a new yeah. kicker, uh, so he he was trying out for. So maybe we'll see him in Minnesota next season as maybe. a as a replacement for Greg Joseph. So, uh, <laughs> but I I think I I think you know the shootout loss is his fault, but the loss isn't his fault in general. Yeah, it's the fact that I mean I I you can I I could joke and say the offside flag is the reason we lost, but at the end of the day, it's because. Our players weren't clinical enough. You know, our defense was great. Our defense was fantastic. Even I, I didn't really feel like Liverpool were going to score that often. Like even when they had one on ones, I was like, I'm not that worried in particular. Yeah, even, when, got this, yeah. even when Salo was one on one, I was like, eh, it'll be fine. Chalo was probably going to come in and clean it up anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I think it's just our forwards just weren't clinical enough. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that happens. Uh, you know, especially with the situation going on in the world right now, I don't blame any player for not being on 100% sure. their A game. Uh, but 
you know, I, I support the Kepa decision at, at, at the end of the day, I, you know, I've, I've got a, I've got a, a little figurine of Kepa yeah. down by down, down here. So I, I, I like him as a player. I, 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 I think it's right because, you know, you want to get his confidence up and I mean, this gamble didn't pay off though. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where are we looking at it as like, uh, as a result of the results where mm-hmm. we're looking at a decision uh, with hindsight being like, this is a bad idea. Or are we looking at this through the lens of what was the right decision at the time? And I think to bring it to fantasy Premier League, I think there's a lot of times where instead of just uh, beating yourself up because you didn't choose, I don't know, a uh, veg horse to score like on his debut, like, you're, yep. oh, that sucks. But, you know, picking another player might have been the good decision at the time. And I think a lot of people on our timelines were bashing the idea because they're not familiar with Chelsea and, and, and how the shootouts usually go yep. and how this was historically a good decision. And it kind of sucks. And even though I'm not a Chelsea fan, I knew that that was like one of the, the better decisions uh, that they could have made. Yeah. Because of just historically, uh, I know Mendy had the hot hand, but historically the hottest hand is going to be Kepa in the penalty shootouts. Yeah. I mean, think about just the EFL Cup. Chelsea won two penalty shootouts in the EFL Cup. Kepa made, I think, three or four saves in total yeah. through those shootouts. Pretty like, good. you know, most goalkeepers are lucky to get a save, like an actual save in a shootout. Usually the misses come from actual yeah. misses, not like saving it. So I think that that's pretty miraculous mm-hmm. that, that he, he had those. So, you know, I, I, I'm looking at this and I think most Chelsea fans, if you look at the timelines, people were like, oh, yeah, this is a great decision because they're, they're looking at this. Yeah. From what they know, it, and, it, it just wasn't his day, you know, and to bring in Bayesian statistics, because this is what sure. this is what I do. That's based off the idea of prior knowledge and the probability of success of things. Mm-hmm. You know, you build in your prior distribute your prior beliefs and use that to inform what you think is going to happen. Yeah. And the prior beliefs are, you know, Kepa has won us trophies because of his penalty saving skills. I mean, he saved that penalty in the EFL Cup. That lit or in the FA Cup that literally made us advance and skip a penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. I I think I think you you gotta you you gotta admit that based off of what you see, that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Uh, just so to wrap things up, it did go to penalty shootouts and it ended up being ten to eleven uh, in favor of Liverpool, uh, who in Jack's mind are the bad guys in the story because. Yeah. It went all the way to the goalkeeper, Kelleher of Liverpool, the reserve goalkeeper. It was a good penalty. It was. I was surprised that he had that in him because I was like, man, he doesn't seem that confident. And he just kind of lasers it in. And so uh, everyone on the Chelsea and Liverpool a team made it uh, that, that had a kick. Some of them were a bit closer than others. I think that... Uh, oh God, Werner's almost gave me a heart yeah, attack. Yeah, <laughs> Werner's was so close. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, maybe... maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, bit. exactly. And I, I think that... Uh, Kepa did have uh, some opportunities to save the likes of Konate's. Uh, Salas as well, actually. He was, yeah. he was or not Salas. I'm thinking of someone else for some. He he was really close to saving two of them though. Yeah, Konate's is the big one. He got a hand to that one mm-hmm. too. I, th- I, th- I thought for sure that was going to be it, but yeah. And at the end of the day, the, the last kick of the game so happened to be Kepa. Kind of up. <laughs> he he <laughs> needed to throw off the gloves. That's that's the yeah. key for goalkeepers yeah, winning it. That's what you got to do. You got to throw off the gloves. Yeah, yeah. Even though it wasn't going to be a winning kick in the, at all. Yeah. You got to throw off the gloves. That's the that's the mark of success. It, it, you know, West Ham. It, it, yeah. Did that against say. Crystal Palace. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was Adrian. Yep. yep. Yeah. Who uh, 
I don't think is still a, a Liverpool. He is still a Liverpool okay, player, so, technically. I don't know, man. <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, Kepa just skies it, gets the three points if he was uh, an NFL kicker, and that's it. So congrats to Liverpool. And I want to say that Klopp had, yeah, he's never won a the no. League Cup. He so. he had never made it past the like the second or third round, I think, of of a cup before, yeah. like from entering in. Of course, he's made it to the third round. Because, so now yeah. Liverpool just have to win an FA Cup, and then he then Klopp will have won every single trophy available to Liverpool because uh, they won the Champions League. Yep, they, they won they Champions won, League. I want to say all the Super Cups they were a part of. They've won the Super Cup they're a part of, yep. Yeah, yeah, and of course, the Club World Cup, the Premier League, EFL Cup now, FA Cup, still on the table. I don't know, if, are they're not in it anymore, or they are? I can't, I, I can't remember I, if they're still in it I, or I not. definitely want to say they are. They are, yes, they are. Yes. They're playing against Norwich next yeah, round, that's okay. right. So maybe this is the year that Liverpool and Klopp can, Klopp can like really put his uh, legend status on the club. <laughs> Uh, another legend of a club, now that we're moving on. Congratulations to Liverpool. Jack, you have to yeah, say it too. Yeah, yeah, congratulations, Liverpool. <laughs> enjoy your, in, enjoy your uh, knockoff trophy. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I needed to do it. It, 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 was, it was a good showing, especially from Kelleher. Uh, and, yeah. Actually, good job. Yeah, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll be nice. I'll, yeah. Okay. So, so, some missed chances from both sides, but Liverpool did come out on top. Uh, but speaking of legends, let's talk about uh, Bielsa being ousted of leeds united after not a great run of form uh, i think this will be our final story of the day but what a story it has been because bielsa for those of you who don't know took over in june of 2018 uh, leeds united which were then a championship club uh had them you know got used to them 2018 19 2019 2020 uh got them promoted from the championship uh by ways of winning the whole competition 2020, 2021, uh, that season, last season, very impressive. I think uh, I'm forgetting what place they they were pretty mid table though. I think eighth or ninth actually, but I'll I'll check just to make sure. Yeah, but but they they played very well given uh, that they were yeah they were uh, ninth yeah they they, they were a, a promoted side, and this season had its ups and ups and downs. Had a lot of injuries. In fact, uh. uh they still have a lot of player key players out. Calvin Phillips, one of the the better essential defensive midfielders in the league. Liam Cooper and of course Patrick Bamford uh, are still out of in out on injury, and a lot of players throughout the season have been out. Uh, so whose fault is it that they're in 16th place on 23 points, very near the relegation uh, spots? I mean, you could blame it on him, but and you can blame it on the fact that his play style does lend itself towards good teams kind of beating them up evidenced by the fact that they've lost four to two six to zero and four to zero to united liverpool and tottenham respectively but it's obvious obviously there's a lot more at play here so jack bielsa getting sacked like do you think this is the right move do you think leeds united fans should be happy that uh bielsa who took them to the the premier league is out given that they are in a kind of dire straits right now I think it's bittersweet because Bielsa undoubtedly has helped Leeds a lot. You know, they they were languishing in the lower leagues since 2004. Uh, 2004 was the before they got promoted of, for last season. They were in the lower divisions, at, including a stint in League One for, for like 15, 16, 17 years. That, that's a long time, especially for a club as 
Historica's Leeds is, you know? So he undoubtedly helped them get back up to a level they can be proud of. But, you know, when your form is as bad as theirs was... And they're pretty... It's still pretty bad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in 2022, they have two wins and one draw. They beat Burnley 3-1, to one, West Ham 3-2. Okay. to two. All right, that's enough. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, we can stop it here. <laughs> and, uh, and they drew Aston Villa 3-3. Three to three. Uh-huh. Uh, other than that, they lost to Newcastle. They they lost to West Ham in the FA Cup. Let's go. <laughs> so they West Ham obviously won the bigger competition. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, they lost 3-0 to Everton, lost 4-2 to United, 6-0 to Liverpool, and 4-0 to Tottenham. That's really bad form. And I, I, I also remember they lost 7-0 to Man City, a team they beat 2-1 with 10 men last season. Yeah. Uh, and they lost to Chelsea with a 90-plus fourth-minute goal. Uh, it's been it's been really bad for them. You know, they they have not had a good season. And I think it was kind of inevitable after all of that happened that Bielsa was probably gone. But I, ha- I have such issues with, with him getting sacked, though, because uh, the Premier League is a league of haves and have nots. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're obviously very rich clubs and obviously not so rich clubs. And Leeds United is one of those have not clubs. They don't have the budget, obviously, because they weren't able to replenish a lot of their uh, injured players they weren't able to upgrade a lot of their players Rafinha is one of the, the, the best transfers that they've had in the last couple seasons but Rafinha can't save the entirety of this Leeds United team and so you have to look at it and be like well whose fault is this I think I think that this is a rash decision probably the worst decision that their board has made I feel like a lot of Leeds United fans understand that and also hate this move because Bielsa was the reason why they at some points looked like a haves club and not a haves not club mm-hmm. because he is undoubtedly a world cup man oh not world cup manager a world, a world, world class, class manager yeah. could be a world cup manager but he, his team just wasn't his squad wasn't at that level but he was able to get this team to punch up every single game to the point where they got ninth place last season and to let go of that because things aren't looking good now well, I, I have to ask, like, who else can keep them up? If he can't keep them up, and if his style of play, and the players that he specifically brought in to play his style of play can't uh, stay up, then, then which manager is it going to be? Because no manager that's available right now, no manager that's going to be coming in, is at the same level of man management, of the same level of tactical prowess as Bielso. And so I think, especially after you look at this bad run of form, a lot of that is because they just played better teams. And that's going to happen. Sure, the scoreline sucks, but just because you lose 6-0 to doesn't mean you can't win 2-0 to the next game if you play a worse team. Like, of course, you're going to struggle, especially with this play style, against Liverpool, against Tottenham, against West Ham United in the FA Cup. That's just to be expected. And so I don't know what the board really wanted to get out of this because... This is just kind of what you're going to get when you have a Leeds United team that's built this way. And I think he was going to be the man that would lead them out of their current their current uh, lack of form. So I, I personally think this is not a great decision. But we do have someone coming in that we Jack and I know quite well who is slated to become their new manager uh, as long as the, the work permits get worked out. But Jack... That is former RB Salzburg, former RB Leipzig, 
current, not not the U.S. men's national team coach, but he is an American coach. Jesse Marsh yep. is the one that is pretty much going to be the next manager of Leeds United. Can he save Leeds from getting uh, relegated? And do you even think that this is going to be a successful uh, run at management here? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I think that it's going to be, you know, I, I get that a bunch of U.S.-based fans are really excited for this, you know? Having an American managed in the Premier League is an exciting thing. Um, that being said, his track record at RB Leipzig was not great. Uh, there's a reason he got fired after only a few months in charge. And it's because, I mean, part of that is because Bayern took all the best players. Right. But it's not like that changes that much with Leeds either. You know, like their best players are going to get snatched up too by, uh, by other clubs. Uh, so I... I don't think this is like the best move per se. I, I, I honestly don't think there's really anyone that can save them at, at this point. Yeah. But, you know, I did say that about about other clubs like I. Uh, uh, so who knows? Maybe maybe it's possible that that this works out like uh, Aston Villa and Steven Gerrard. I wasn't convinced about that, sure. but that's worked out decently well so far. Uh, it could work out, but. I, I don't know if, if Marsh is the right choice for this. Again, like, you know, the jump from RB Salzburg to RB Leipzig was quite, quite a drastic one. I think that the jump from RB Leipzig to Leeds is also a pretty drastic it jump is. as well. It is. Especially when you consider, you know, it's in the most watched league in the world. Uh, and you're playing for a team that is going to immediately have expectations for you. Like RB Leipzig. Uh, are they the same level? Maybe not, but at the same time, I, I still think Leeds is a pretty significant jump up from Salzburg. Yeah, it's, it's like he's falling up almost. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. And I, I, obviously, if Jesse Marsh believes in this and believes he can do it, more power to him. If he succeeds, it's going to be a great look for U.S. managers. If, if he doesn't, it's, it's going to increase the bad taste in people's mouths in fans' mouths, in boards' mouths, that American managers just can't do this. It happened with Bob Bradley mm-hmm. and Swansea City, and it could continue, David Wagner even, uh, but this is, this is something that needs to, be, ne- needs to be a challenge that he can take on, and I'm not so sure that I have confidence <laughs> in him, given that he's not the most pragmatic in terms of uh, getting players to play well. He, 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 just like Bielsa, is married to a system but unlike Bielsa, he doesn't have the Bielsa-ness, just yeah. to, to put it short. Like, like, he, like Bielsa has the ability to get people to, to buy in and to be able to like run through walls for him. Mm-hmm. Ben White, a former player, posted how sad he was. He posted a picture of him and Bielsa when, when they used to play together. And it, 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 that just shows how much the, the, the players respect Bielsa. Jesse Marsh is a great coach that's done great things for New York Red Bulls, for RB Salzburg as an assistant coach for uh, RB Leipzig, but he's no Bielsa. He's no Bielsa in, in both tactics and in pragmatism, not pragmatism, in a, a player player recruitment, in, in, in player buy-in. Mm-hmm. And so, like, like even, 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 even if Jesse Marsh is, is able to avoid relegation with, with Leeds United, 
I don't think it matters. Even if Leeds United finishes 15th, when all is said and done, I think that the ceiling that Bielsa gave Leeds is five times higher than any other manager is going to give them. Like, yes, who knows? Maybe even Bielsa, if he stays, they'll get relegated. But honestly, no joke, I'll have a lot more confidence in Bielsa getting Leeds United back into the Premier League and back into getting mid-table results than I would Jesse Marsh or any other manager, you know, helping them survive and then get those mid-table results. Yeah, especially when you consider the championship, people always are like, oh, it's easy. No, it's not. It is probably the most difficult league, if we're being honest, in terms of like winning it or getting promoted from it. Because uh, and you, it requires very specific experience. Uh, Bielsa has it. March doesn't. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And when you couple in the fact that it's pretty obvious that uh, if they stay up or not, they're probably going to have to sell Rafinha. They're yeah. probably going to have to sell Calvin Phillips. Probably going to have to sell uh, Bamford. Not just for the finances, just because I feel like, especially Rafinha, they're going to oh, be yeah. wanting to yeah. move to a bigger team. Rafinha. I feel like would would slot in perfectly at any major club at all. He's he is a Brazilian talent to be reckoned with, and I, I just don't think that it's going to be looking good for Leeds United in the near future. So. Yeah, to be honest, I I I, I wouldn't mind Leeds getting relegated. I, 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 <laughs> selfishly, I I wouldn't too, uh, just because their fans can be a handful at sometimes. Uh, weren't they the ones that that uh, threw something at a player? Just the the other other sounds like Leeds fans yeah sounds like no offense Leeds fans (laughs) no offense but but yeah all I know is I'll I'll be watching pretty much every single game now that Jesse Marsh is going to be there but it's going to be a tough one Leeds United fans I'll I'll be honest and I love Jesse Marsh I still think he's a good coach but this is it's a poison child to say yeah I mean Leeds is next fixtures as well you know they have some easier ones like Norwich uh Watford coming up but then after that like their last six Chelsea, Palace, City, Arsenal, Brighton, and then their last one is Brentford. Yeah. I, I'd say that those are decently tough fixtures. And before that as well, they've got Wolves and Southampton still to play, who are both doing very well right now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Le- Leeds are kind of too far down to really escape, it feels like, at this point in time. Uh, that being said, I, I, I would rather see Everton get relegated, but... I I would love to see Everton get relegated. <laughs> I think Burnley are going to escape regardless because Burnley just survive no matter what. Dude, Ve- and Veghorst, Veghorst, Veghorst is going to power them in. Yes. Yeah. We all thought the Chris Wood signing would be the end, but nope. it was only the the revolution. Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> all right, Jack. Do you have anything else to say about the soccer news on and off the field this week before we wrap things up? Uh, not not really. I mean, I will say uh, we're recording this. Uh. Like uh, around 6 p.m., Chicharito just scored a last-minute goal to probably beat NYCFC on the opening day of the season, which assisted by Raheem Edwards, who we both clowned on in in our uh, in our predictions episode. I said he was a candidate for flop of the season. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, Yes, a a lot of fun MLS openers uh, to be watched. MLS season's off to a cracking start, including that Yumi Chara bicycle kick goal from last night that was absolutely crazy uh so a lot of things we didn't mention uh u.s women's national team won the she believes cup 
Does it help them in the long run? We talked about that last week. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, still a trophy, I guess. Still a trophy. Technically still a trophy. still a trophy. And we got to see some cool players uh, play as well. Yeah. Uh, with important messages there as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, yes, this has been the final third podcast. Of course, to echo some of those messages, we here at the final third podcast mm-hmm. have obviously, from this episode, you can probably tell that we stand with Ukraine and uh, their sovereignty yep. uh, from the NW cell and the U.S. Women's National Team speaking out. We stand with uh, the, the, the trans kids who are going through, obviously, a very, very uh, bad time down in Texas. And uh, we, we stand with uh, all, all of the abuse victims, of the, with the women's victims, because I know uh, Portland has had some protests mm-hmm. recently, uh, especially during the, because they had their opener this past week. So... Uh, not not a lot of uh, great things, but hopefully uh, talking about it and hopefully discussing some of these issues at length in this episode included can bring some light and bring some movement on those. So, Jack, if people want to join us in our activism against sports washing, against uh, abuse and racism and all of that, where can they join us in our fights? They can find us on Twitter at Final Third Show, you know. I've been doing a lot of tweeting about the the Ukraine situation mm-hmm. on there, trying to promote like anything about soccer in in that world uh, and just trying to bring awareness to all of these sorts of issues, because, you know, soccer can be a very positive forum for that. So if you want to join us in producing that positive forum for change, you can find us on Twitter at Final Third Show. Yes, yes. Also. Uh, on Instagram and on our website, finalthirdshow.com for a one-stop shop of all things Final Third Podcast. We'll see you guys this Thursday for some deep dive episode. I guess we'll see what that is. Ooh, cool, cool, cool. And we'll also see you guys same time, same place for next week's, uh, you know, amazing, amazing news and predictions episode. Tell a friend about the show. Tell your dad about the show. I'm sure he'd love to hear about Ukraine and the EFL Cup final. We'll see you guys then. See ya. Bye for now.